You know the Christmas story is told basically in two chapters, right? Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, basically. I mean, there's obviously some spillover on either side, but that's basically where you find your Christmas story. So Luke chapter 2, if you don't know where Luke is, the table of contents is your best friend. Go to the table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. Yep, we'll wait, it's not a, not a race. And you'll find the book of Luke, and there'll be a page number there. And once you find that page, you go to that page, and you'll find that each of the books of the Bible is broken down into chapters and verses, so that you can find the chapter and the verses that you're looking for. So we're looking for chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1, conveniently. Okay? Before we do, it's always good to pray. When you come to the Scripture, always have a prayer. Lord, guide me. Help me understand this. This is your wisdom, (laughs) and I am not wise like you, so help me. Okay? That's a good idea to do. So let's do that together. Father in heaven, we just come humbly now. We pray you would teach us from the Scripture today what it is you want us to learn, how it is you want us to live, how we are to be uh, walking through this life with Christ as the anchor and the foundation of our souls, our heads full of the knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our hearts filled with the love of God our Father, and we walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that the truth of this will blossom for us. You'll bring it out of the text so that we might know how to live. In the name of Jesus, amen. Verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was in the first census that was taking place by Quirinius, the governor of Syria. Just in case you didn't know where we were talking about. Okay. And everyone went to his own town to register. Now, the familiar part. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Who's David? Who's David? King. Okay, he went to his hometown because that's where he came from, from the bloodline of King David. More politics. Because he belonged to the house on the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there... The time came for the baby to be born. How convenient. Wow, we're going to look at that. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and and placed him in a manger because there were no room for them in the inn. Now that part of the story we're all familiar with. But not too many people study the first part. Pastor Alex did a wonderful job a couple weeks ago telling us about the Roman Empire. I mean, he really got into it. He dug into all the goodies that came with it, and it was very enjoyable. It was like a little history lesson, hey? And we learned about how, you know, he actually is the first authentic Caesar of the Roman Empire. Before that, Rome was a republic. We learned that, right? Run by a senate. Were you listening? Were you paying attention when Pastor Alex was, uh, was leading us through all that? And we know that the whole thing happened because he was trying to exert his control and his power, and obviously get money through taxes, over the entire Roman Empire. 
So this whole thing, this whole first couple of sentences, and even to throw in the governor's name there, Luke, you know, he didn't have to. None of us care who the governor was. But, but the people in the story did. They knew who he was. They knew what he represented and who he represented. And so what is going on in this story that the Holy Spirit would inspire Luke to give us such important political information? If you don't think there's politics here, think about Matthew and the Magi, which we looked at last week. They arrived in Jerusalem, turned the whole place into an uproar, and out of that contact came political nightmare for anyone who lived in the town of Bethlehem. Would you agree? This insane king who was so jealous and so worried about his throne decided to kill every baby under the age of two. You talk about political influence that's saturated with it, isn't it? What are we supposed to do with all this saturated politics? Hmm. Of course, we just read that Mary and Joseph were forced by law to shift from Nazareth to Bethlehem and register. It was carried out by this governor, Quirinius. And then again, shortly thereafter, they were forced again to move to where? From Bethlehem to Egypt. Why? Because King Herod knew he missed this little two-year-old boy. And so he was on the hunt. And so Mary and Joseph became political refugees as they escaped Herod and went went down to Egypt and did not come back until a regime changed, until Herod died and his younger son became king. Do politics play a part in the scripture? Absolutely. So what can we learn from all of this? What is it that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us? Well, there are several very subtle nuances that are happening in the story that because we're so far removed from it, 2,000 years basically, we don't quite catch it all. And Pastor Alex did a great job of trying to help us understand some of the big picture stuff that was going on. But how about some of the more minute things? First, I want you to notice from the scriptures, the two passages are separated. Now, in our Bibles, of course, by a paragraph. But in reality, the two stories are separated because they're two very distinct kingdoms. Remember the first message we talked about the invasion of the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of darkness? This is part of that invasion. All right, so you've got two different things. And ironically, the Holy Spirit puts them one on top of the other. They're stacked. So that we see that there's two very diddle, different uh, diddle, different kingdoms happening here. Okay? Two very different kingdoms. The mighty and powerful Caesar Augustus issues a decree carried out by his governor with a host of Roman soldiers at his disposal to enforce with swords and spears everyone to comply Even a very pregnant woman who had to march 160 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem just to obey the order. All right, so we've got this crushing power looming, coming down heavy. Everybody had to move. Everybody had to shift to their hometowns all over the world. And it was enforced because a spear tip and a sword tip were handy. Should a governor need to exercise that power? Nobody squawked. You did what you were told upon pain of being poked. Let's just say it that way. But then the story suddenly changes. 
and a very different court. The court of heaven is now brought to bear where a decree is issued from the throne of God announced by a host of angels. Same word. Roman hosts and angelic hosts. Same word, host. Okay? No spears and swords with this host. Just loud shouting, glory to God in the highest. Where a decree is proclaimed from the throne of God, carried out, or, or announced by the angels and carried out by a bunch of lowly shepherds, the lowest of the social low, who were the first to hear about the birth of a Savior who would bring pre- peace to all people. Right? So that doesn't sound too nuanced. That doesn't sound too bizarre. But listen to this. Archaeology is helpful now. It has discovered in a uh, marketplace something called the Pyrenean Calendar Inscription. So this is a small town just south of Greece, sort of north Turkey, in that region. And they had a marketplace that's been excavated, it's been dug up. And they found two tablets. And it was from the time of this Caesar, Caesar Augustus. Here's what it says. It's written by the subjects, the rulers of this town, in order to honor Caesar at Caesar's command. Right? Caesar commanded that something be lovely be written about him in the marketplace. And so here's what it is. Are you ready? Since providence has set in most perfect order by giving us Caesar Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit all humankind, sending him as our Savior. Both of us and our descendants... For, for, for both of us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things in peaceful ways, since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors. Wow, this is getting rich. And not even leaving posterity any hope, so his kids, no hope of surpassing his greatness. And since the day, the birthday of the God Augustus is upon us, it is the beginning of good news for the whole world. Did you hear that? Was this done in secret? No. This was plastered apparently in marketplaces all over the Roman Empire. Do you think the shepherds in the field had heard some of this? Quite possible. Quite possible. One of the reasons why the Jewish people hated the Romans so much is because of their God structure, their religious structure. Remember, Alex told us about this. They were pantheistic, including the worship of the emperor, right? And so the Jewish people, they could not do that. And so there was a great animosity because this pantheistic, this multi-God system is being forced down their throats by who? Caesar. And it is very possible that when those angels announce to the shepherds that a Savior is born and announcing peace on earth, goodwill towards all men, they picked up on the cues. It's quite possible that they'd heard that before or read it in the marketplace. And so what is going on here? 
something subversive, maybe even something that's going to kick out the Romans. What do you think? Hey? And so they left their flocks in the field. Who, in their right mind as a shepherd, leaves their flocks in the field? Hello? These ones did. Why? Well, because they'd seen angels, for sure. But there was an announcement about a king who had been born, who was going to bring peace to the earth. What? Somebody other than Caesar? We got to see this. And away they went. Do you see how this could have easily worked? Now, of course, there's no proof of this. I'm just speculating at this point. But it is quite possible that the announcement of those angels was meant to rattle the shepherds and send them on a mission because they'd heard those words before. Quite possible. All right. Very interesting. Sounds familiar. There are other inscriptions that have been unearthed about this Caesar. He was very full of himself. Uh, there was, he, he was called the divine. He was called the son of God. He was called the Lord. He was called the Redeemer. He was called the Liberator. And of course, as we just read, the Savior of the whole world. And he put on to, he minted coins that declared that he was the Son of God. How do you think the Jewish people felt about that? It's almost like he had them in mind when he minted it. Of course, and himself, of course. Well, the subtle nuances now become obvious. There is tension in these passages that we don't often read because we're just separated from time and, you know, we're just a long ways away from that culture. And so we don't often think about all of this together. But why include the Roman structure then? Why do we need to know that that was why Mary and Joseph? Why couldn't have just started by saying Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem, it was full at that time, and a baby was born in the manger? Why couldn't we just know that? No, the Holy Spirit wants us to know it was because of a decree of a pagan emperor that all of this was set in motion. Hmm. Why do you think it's written that way? Why would Luke impress the political setting on our hearts? What was his agenda through the Holy Spirit so that the readers would read this and understand what was going on? In a way, it feels a little bit like Luke is throwing down the gauntlet. He's saying, this is war. It's a little bit like that because how they're worded, they're back-to-back instructions, one from the worldly king and another from the throne of heaven. And who wins? Who wins? Hmm. Well, the question is this. Is the true savior of the world a purple-robed Caesar with his legions upon legions of mighty soldiers? Or... Is it this poor infant wrapped in cloths in a manger, born in a cave on the fringes of this great empire? (laughs) Which of these two can truly bring peace to the world? Well, see, we have perspective, don't we? We know what happened. We can look back and say, well, the Roman Empire eventually was destroyed. But this kingdom that we're in, it's still growing. Hallelujah. 
there are still people coming in, fresh new faces, fresh new faith, fresh new times where people come and God invades their space and changes their hearts. Hallelujah. The message of peace is true from the angels, not from the courts of Caesar. Well, we know that from perspective now. But there's something very healthy about understanding the way this is brought down. In fact, the chapter before, in Luke chapter 1, Mary is now aware of the fact that she's pregnant with the Son of God. I mean, ladies, how awesome would that be? Right? I mean, trouble, sure, because, you know, she wasn't married and she was a virgin. So, how do you tell your friends and neighbors and loved ones that news? Even Joseph had trouble with it. But she realized what was going on inside her womb. And she has something that's called the Magna Carta. She sings this beautiful song. And uh, in it, the last couple lines say this. The powerful will be brought down from their thrones. The lowly will be lifted up. The hungry will be filled. And the rich, the rich will be sent away. That's in her song. Now why would a mother of a little baby going through the trouble of making sure she mentions the thrones of the earth will be brought down through my son. She was prophesying. That's what she was doing. And even in prophecy, I mean, you go to the Old Testament, prophecy is full of political teachings, right? Hello? Lots of those are all about kings and kingdoms and nations and rising and the whole thing. Even God, why do the nations rage? And he laughs, he mocks them. Hmm. It starts with a message of the angels and the, to the shepherds. To them was born a Savior, the Lord, who will bring pre- peace upon this earth. But it, it's by a very different means. It's not through power and domination like a Roman Empire. It's not through lords and ladies of this world. It's not through the tip of a spear. Instead, it's on the tip of the tongue. And the heart is actually set free. And freedom truly is that. Actual freedom. And the new kingdom that's being proclaimed is built upside down where God says the least will be the greatest and the servant will be the leader of all. This kingdom is upside down from a world's kingdom. Maybe that's why it thrives and it goes wherever it wants to go. There is no borders. This is true borderless kingdom. It just keeps advancing. And it swallows up people of every tribe, every nation we read in the book of Genesis, uh, Revelation. will come and worship him. It's not like the kingdom of this world. In fact, Paul says in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. It is not a kingdom that is a forced peace with great fear. It's very different. So take courage from the Christmas story. Take courage from the movement of a couple, Joseph and Mary, pregnant as she was. Take courage that they were forced to move because of politics. But look what happened. Look what happened. Come and see, the one song says, what God has done. Now let's back it up. Let's just go into the, the structure of it here. I want to dig in and I want to pull some things out. I'm going to pull a few threads, okay? Here we go. Galatians 4, Paul says, In the fullness of time, when it had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman under the law. 
in the fullness of time. In other words, at just the right second, just the right second, the baby was born. Where? In Bethlehem of Judea. In fact, that knowledge was known, even though it's a 400-year-old prophecy by a guy named Micah, that was known by the religious scholars. They knew where to look for him. Why? Because God had already pre-planned this whole thing. Do you think the nations somehow worry him? Hello? Do you think Justin makes him on the edge of his throne? Do you think he's on the edge of his throne because Donald makes a decree? Or Boris decides to exit with Brexit? Or Macron decides to get all weird and Frenchy on us? Or Angela decides that Germany, once again, is a broken nation in need of power? Do you think it bothers God somehow that the Russians are meddling in the elections? <laughs> the nations rage and God just mocks them. He mocks them. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be fatalistic. We need our, they need our prayers. They need us to pray because they are the leaders that God has established. Let's take a look at the scriptures. In Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he decides. Every political leader that has ever been born and ever will be born, even the mayor of this lovely town, the king's heart is in the hand of the king of heaven. And he turns it no matter where he wants to go. He just turns it. That's how he rules sovereignly the nations. This is good news for us because sometimes it looks like God went on a holiday like our prime minister does. <laughs> it looks like he's gone. He's on vacation somewhere. And he's forgotten Canada. It looks like that. But don't use these eyes only. Take the eyes of Scripture and learn what the Scripture says. Trust that even though we have the government of the day, and even though we live in a time with the government of the day, even though that is true and we are subject to their authority, God is still on His mighty throne. And even though the nations rage, he knows it. No big deal. They can squawk all they like. Their hearts are in his hands. It is really amazing that the Caesar, the first one of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, the first emperor, decides at that particular moment, it's time for a census. It's time now. And at that precise moment, he doesn't understand that he is really a tool in the hands of a mighty God who needs his born, his son, to be born in a little obscure village that Caesar probably never heard of. Hello? Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Woo! Yeah. I mean, we're talking behind the curtain stuff here. He is pulling the threads. He is moving stuff where he wants it moved so that in the fullness of time, a woman would give birth at exactly the right place, in exactly the right town. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Well, history. Israel's history is dotted with moments where the heavenly curtain parts and we get to see behind the scenes in the real court, the one that really matters, the kingdom of heaven. Israel had rebelled against God at one point. I'm going to just mention a couple here. And, and against God. And so he foretold of an Assyrian king, an Assyrian king named Taglath-Palazer. Have you heard of him? I haven't either. But apparently he was a mighty king and a mighty warrior. He was the king of Assyria when it was a great empire. Listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 10 about this king. But the king of Assyria, so this king, will not understand that he is my tool. (laughs) I like that. His mind doesn't work that way. He thinks it's all about him and his power. He has no idea I'm the one doing all the pulling of the strings. I'm the one setting this whole thing up. How about that? He is a tool in the hand of God. He didn't even know he was fulfilling God's purposes and bringing discipline on his children, Israel, or the children of Israel. Hey, Caesar didn't know. You think Caesar cared about the God of the Hebrews? Not at all. He cared about himself, his power, his control, taxation, making sure you got some money. He cared. That's all he cared about. And of course, the pantheon of gods, including himself, who should be worshipped regularly. Right? <laughs> but God doesn't care about that. The hand, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. Okay, then later on, the same thing happens, only this time to uh, Judea. And he, God says, okay, I'm going to rise up a young guy by the name of Cyrus the Persian. You ever heard of him? Again, the Persian Empire, you've heard of them? Well, Cyrus was the guy who marched out. He was the guy who got that empire started. Cyrus the Great, Cyrus the Mede, Cyrus the Persian. Listen to what God says about Cyrus the the Persian. It says in Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord, there is no other God. I have equipped you, Cyrus, for battle. You don't even know me. You don't even know me, and I equipped you for battle. The context, I'm, I'm just reading the key chat verse here, but the context is he's going from nation to nation, destroying them all. And God says, I equipped you for this. I have a purpose and a plan for you, and you don't even know it. It's like saying, Justin, you may have been elected. You may be the prime minister of Canada, but you have no idea that I run the show. I run He says to Donald Trump, who is making America great, apparently, he says to Donald, hey, Donald, you don't run the show. I do. I do. He says to Boris Yeltsin, he says to all the Russian leaders, you don't run the show. I do. He says to Boris Johnson in England, You may have been elected for this purpose, but it's my purposes that will prevail. He says to Angela, Germany is mine, not yours. You don't have any kids, Angela, but lots of kids I have in this country. Hey? You see, this is our God. Do we need to fear? Do we? Hello? No. 
We'd have no reason to fear. God is on the throne. Now, thank God we have democracy. And as Churchill said, it is the worst form of government until you, until you compare it to all the others. Democracy is the worst form of government until you compare it to all the others. They're all bad little words. There's no perfect system. And we are called by God to recognize this. But before we go any further, I want to read a little bit from King Nebuchadnezzar. You know him, hey? I love this story. As a boy, I imagined it so many times. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, hey? You know, the great king. (laughs) If you don't bow down and worship me, I'll throw you in the fiery furnace heated seven times hotter. And what did their response was? You can do whatever you want, king. If God is going to save us, he's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship you. You're a man. Well, that enraged him. And he had the strongest, biggest soldiers tie them and throw them into the furnace. But before they even got there, the soldiers died from the heat. And they walked in. And I, I just can imagine it sitting on the throne, jumping to his feet, Satrach, come here, get over here. I thought we threw three in there. Why are there four? And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Can you imagine this conversation? And then he realizes what's going on. He realizes God is at work. And you know what he says? Shadrach, Meshach, get out of there. And they came out. No smell of smoke. Nothing singed, not even the hairs in their head. Just the ropes that bound them were gone. You know what that tells me? Yes, there are ropes that bind us. And yes, we need to be good citizens of this country. And yes, we need to participate as good citizens in every democracy. Every time there's a chance to vote, we should be faithful to do that. At the same time, we realize that even if it doesn't go our way, the bindings that are around our hands are gone because we serve a greater king who has a greater court and whose throne will never shift no matter what Justin and the cabinet decide. And if it was the conservatives, it'd be the same exact thing. No matter what their leader decided or their cabinet decides or even as a loyal, Her Majesty's loyal opposition, right? They're a part of the whole process. And God says, it's all mine. Remember the old saying that it used to be from his dominion, from sea to shining sea. Remember that? Those days are long gone now, hey? But it's still inscribed in all of the buildings in Parliament. It's still there. His dominion. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And sometimes in our conversations with each other, we get way too caught up in the political stuff. And we don't realize we need to focus on the king of heaven. Make no mistake, God rules the nations, including ours. The heart of the leader of this world is like water in the hands of the Lord. And he directs it wherever he pleases. Wherever he pleases. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 13, There is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Who was he talking about in that case? The evil emperor named Nero. That's who was emperor during his time. Who blamed the Christians for everything that went wrong in the empire. (laughs) And eventually led to many of them dying as martyrs, eaten by lions. Where God did not stop the lion's mouths, but let it continue. You see, if you try to figure out how God does this, you'll get lost really fast. Because his ways, the Bible says, are higher. We sang about it this morning. They're higher than our ways. And even if God had like a, some kind of minimal wisdom, it would still be higher than our wisdom. You can't run circles around, around the way God does stuff. You've got to just submit and pray. As it says here in Timothy, he says that we should pray for those in authority over us, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Prayer is the tangible expression of our trust and our acknowledgement <laughs> that He is in charge. He is in charge. And so we pray. We pray for Justin and his cabinet. And we pray for whoever the next leader is of the, the PCs. And we pray for the NDP. And we pray for all the other hodgepodge of stuff that goes on. We pray for it all. Because we are to pray for those in authority over us, according to the Scripture, that we might live peaceful and godly lives. That's our role in this great democracy. Our role is to be prayer warriors. How you doing? When's the last time you prayed for Justin? You think he needs our prayers? Yes, he does. And whoever the leader of the next, leader of the the opposition is going to be, do they need our prayer? They need our prayer. The premiers of each of our provinces and territories, hey, do they need our prayers? How about our mayor? Does he need our prayers? Absolutely. And so we should be faithful to pray. This is our role. This is our call. Not to get worked up into a lather because you hate Donald Trump. Or you can't stand Justin Trudeau. Not to get all worked up. But instead to say, maybe I didn't vote for him, maybe I did. But the fact is, he needs our prayers. That is a fact. And so we should pray for him. We're going to end today by praying for our government. That's what we're going to do. We're going to actually do it. But I want to encourage you not to forget that this is our calling. Second thing is, is to remember that God is sovereign over the nations. His sovereignty over the officials of our government and all their actions that affect us directly or indirectly. He is sovereign over the officials of the governments of every land where brothers and sisters suffer and die and are persecuted for their faith. He is sovereign even there. And I remember listening to stories of people who come from persecution telling us not to pray that the government changes, but to pray for us that we remain strong. How about that? From a persecuted Christian, don't pray for the government to change. Pray 
that we survive and stand tall for the King of Kings in the midst of persecution. Very different mindset. He is sovereign over the nations with wherever the attempt is made to stamp out true Christianity. Take heart, people of God, people of faith, faith, and trust that he truly is the King of Heaven. He is the King of Kings. Take heart from this Christmas story where obedience to a pagan king forced a young couple to move and make a dangerous and difficult journey, but the final result was the fulfillment of 400-year-old prophecy. <laughs> no wonder he laughs. He's a chess player. He's already 20 moves ahead. He knows. He knows. We need not fear, but we do need to pray. And we need to leave good lives among our fellow countrymen so that they recognize our Heavenly Father and glorify Him. This Christmas, let's take some moments, because it's in the Christmas story, to pray for the leaders. Amen? In fact, let's do that right now. Father in Heaven, we humbly come before You confessing that far too often we criticize and complain those who are in authority over us, and sometimes rightly so. But far too often, that is our go-to. And we ask right now for your forgiveness for that, and we pray, oh God, that you will help us <laughs> to remember to pray for them, to pray for our leaders, to pray for this great country, to pray for our national leaders, our provincial leaders, and our local leaders, to lift them to you, and ask that God give them wisdom so that they can govern wisely for the good of all people that they give leadership to. That's what we ask for. And we lift up Justin and the cabinet together. God, move in their midst. Provide good, honest, truthful observations. There are those who surround them, those who work with them, God, who provide their information. May they be honest and forthright and truthful. And Father, we pray for the loyal opposition. We ask for a good leader. Mr. Shear has stepped down, so we need someone to step in. We pray for a good leader, a wise leader, to take his place. Thank you for our leadership here. Thank you for Mr. Kenny. And thank you for Her Majesty's loyal opposition, Rachel and her team. And God, we ask that your will will be accomplished in this province that's struggling right now. So many suicides, so many lost and broken, so many without work, so much drug addiction and family breakdown. It's everywhere. It's like cancer in our society, in our little province. And there's bitterness that's taking root because of it. And so, God, we pray peace. We pray peace. We pray the church would do its job and care for the lost and the lonely <coughs> and the broken of our province. And of course, that, that applies to our town as well. Pray for a mayor. Just lift them to you, Jesus, and the cabinet and the people who are on council. God, give them wisdom. Grant them the wisdom they need to lead this little town so that it becomes a beacon of hope a place of light, not darkness. 
God, we just ask for them that they would be granted the wisdom of heaven to make decisions on our behalf. And for our sake, God, for our task, we honor them. We are to be good citizens, living peaceful and godly lives, taking care of what's left behind, the broken, the, the lost, the lonely, the least, looking after them with benevolence and love because that is our gospel. And may our churches in this town be beacons of hope and light as they should be. And we ask for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, next time you get into a political argument, open up your Bibles to the Christmas story and have a talk. See who's really in charge. Amen?